0: You're listening to The Active Lifestyle Marketer, brought to you by Tiger Creative, the creative agency for active lifestyle brands.
1: Find out more at tigercreative.com. Welcome to The Active Lifestyle Marketer, a podcast dedicated to bringing industry experience and insight into marketing an active lifestyle brand. Whether you're a travel and leisure, fitness and sport, or a health and nutrition brand, you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other Active Lifestyle brand executives, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Active Lifestyle Marketer. Today on the show, I have Mike Henderson with us. Uh, Mike's going to be sharing a little bit about his past experiences and, and his new endeavors with Hendo Design. He's the creative director and founder of Hendo Design. Mike, welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: So, why don't you tell me a little bit about Hendo Design and uh, the backstory of how you came to to be there? Coming from companies like REI and Sockeye and Instrument and Wyden Kennedy, what 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 does that transition look like as far as you gaining your experience and coming to this point where you're ready to you know step out on your own with Hendo Design?
0: Yeah, so so Hendo's kind of always been my a little bit of my moonlighting stuff on the side. And it's always, it's, it's kind of been a passion of mine to get to work with a variety of folks and get to work with, you know, people who are passionate about like finding stories, finding beliefs for their brands, for, for, you know, just for the thing that they're trying to sell. And so having a wide variety of experience in the past 14, 15 years from brand development to interactive design, to advertising, to, working and you know doing a little bit more strategy and consultancy, and then at REI being the lead of integrated marketing, it's it's definitely kind of all comes back to the central core of problem solving and really using design and design thinking to kind of find those, those universal truths and the soul of the project that people are going to be able to emotionally connect with. So it really kind of hendo and like where I'm trying to take it or wherever, you know, wherever the universe leads me in that is really trying to figure out like, how can I continue to partner with people to develop and find beliefs and stories for their brands to really get consumers to emotionally connect? Right.
1: So how did you kind of get to that point coming from Zeba and and learning about archetypes and and taking that to REI um, when you went to REI what is what does that history look like as far as telling a story from a archetype model
0: yeah so archetypal models were always something that was really interesting to me and I learned I learned just that method of developing a foundation and a plumb line for work when I was working at Zeba. I was working with uh, this guy, Steve McCallion, and uh, Chelsea Vandiver there, and really, it was it was like, how can we develop meaning, and how can we put something into our brand development that isn't just aesthetic, you know, that really is this strategy that we can map all of these stories back to, all of this visual language back to, all of these things kind of like wrap around this as the center core and the truth. And so really learned about, hey, there's these these fundamental characters out there in the world that show up in stories over and over. There's the hero and the outlaw and the lover and, you know, so many more than that, the jester, all these things. And And really what those things do is they provide a catalyst to help people understand how to talk about their brand, how their brand shows up, how basically to structure those things. And for me, it really, it helped me be able to think about design in terms of paradigms. Like, how do I create a visual paradigm that goes back to a character? So like, for instance, if I had the outlaw as a character, like, I'm going to definitely develop a design paradigm that breaks rules, that is irreverent, that is a provocateur. And so it's like, you're going to go against the grain. It's not going to be perfect design. It's going to be more like street art and torn edges and spray painted stuff or, you know, and that's, those are the more cliche, obvious ways to do it. But it's like that already kind of gives you a place to start building your visual language and design language around. And then when I went to Winding Kennedy, I, you know, I had this really crazy meeting with John Jay, who's the global creative director there at the time. And he looks through my book and it was just this crazy environment, you know, I'm like in his office on the sixth floor and he's just like, he's this older Asian guy and he was just like totally just like typing away and just like looking at it and he was like, I'll be with you in a second. And there was this tortoise out on the deck that was like scratching at the window. <laughs> it, it was just this crazy, surreal experience. And I so appreciate that he took the time out of his day to review my work and talk to me. and. And he just he quietly looked through my work and he was just like, this work is beautifully crafted, but he's like, I don't feel anything. And and I was just like, well, what does that mean? Like, you don't feel anything <laughs> And like he didn't really like he just left it at that. He didn't give me any clear answer or anything like that. So it really set me on this. Like, how do I build meaning into design? Like, how do I get somebody to feel something? when they look at creative, when they look at a printed piece, when they look at a video piece and really that kind of, I took the archetype mentality and I'm like, okay, how can I take the hero's journey or another kind of narrative? Be it the, you know, paradise found, paradise lost, or, you know, there's a myriad of these plots that are out there, rags to riches, tragedy, comedy, all this stuff. How can I take that, match it up with these character archetypes, to start developing stories that really are getting people emotionally connected and emotionally resonant with the brand. And the, like I said, the biggest opportunity that I got to do that on a long term was at REI because we, we had to touch all channels all the time. We had to make social campaigns and branded content and short films and social activations. And so to me, I'm like, the way to motivate people to do that is to really try to hone in and find these stories that they're going to be able to connect with.
1: Right. And so, did, is that something that, I mean, obviously, when you first started playing with this archetype idea, <clears throat> that wasn't something you were immediately um, great at necessarily. Maybe it was, but it probably, like most of us, is something that has progressed. Uh, and as you've gotten more experience and as you've played with the ideas of the archetype and, and how to tell story based on that, um, what does that progression look like at, at, throughout your career? Was it something that just came naturally to you? Was it um, it just made sense and, and it was easy to start implementing? Or was that a long process as you went from company to company, finally bringing it to REI? Does that question make sense?
0: Yeah, I think for me it was something that just it got honed over time because, you know, it's like at the beginning it was a framework. It was a way for us to, you know, take a client through from no design to a full finished design piece and like provide a justification. Like this is the reason that we made these design decisions. This is the reason that we did X, Y and Z. And this is why this strategy works for your company. And then the more time that went on, it, you know, it's like I started reading more books like Simon Sinek, Start With Why, watching, you know, kind of TED Talks around that, read the IDO Creative Confidence. And really a lot of them were hinting, you know, kind of at the same thing. And, you know, Sinek was the first to just like really put it in a simple terms of like people don't buy what you make or how you do it. They buy why you do it. They buy your beliefs. And And so for me, I was like, okay, here's somebody who's been able to take all of this like archetypal theory that I've learned and experimented with, and they've distilled it down to like one little easy nugget that people can understand is like this whole idea of why. Like, so at REI, you know, I'd always go back when we were selling products and really ask people, it's like, I understand what it is, you know, when we'd work with private brands, which was kind of our house brand, we were selling these Brand new backpacks and they're like they're lighter and they're all these, you know, they're all these awesome things. And they really wanted to do this this kind of maker film. They wanted to show somebody in the studio designing it and cutting it out and all this stuff. And, you know, it's like I was sitting there kind of really wrestling with it because I'm like, that doesn't resonate with me because I'm like, I love that you guys take this time and energy to like make a great backpack and that you work on the threads and the colors and you go through all this process. But I'm like, for a consumer, you're not really hitting on the belief. You're not really hitting on why they should buy that product. Right. So for me, it was really, you know, going back to it's like, okay, at REI, we'd always say the life outdoors is the life well lived. So I was like, let's show that if that's our why, if that's our belief, if that's the core construct in which the reasoning behind everything we make, then we need to like really show that. We need to show that the outdoor experience is what inspired us to make these things. And I remember being on shoot and we got rained out. And I was like, let's just shoot it anyways. Like, let's just shoot all the gear in the rain. Let's shoot people in tents in the rain. Because I'm like, for me, as somebody who's a backpacker and a, and a fly fisherman and spends a lot of time outside, you get cotton weather a lot. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. to always show the utopian outdoors of sunny days and clear skies doesn't really help me as a consumer understand and prove your product. But if you show it to me like being tested and being put through the paces and like people still being energized by having and being in that outdoor experience, then that really kind of communicates to me that, okay, you taking this stuff out in crazy weather, you taking this to the mountaintop, you doing X, Y, and Z that influenced your design, that influenced your decision. So in the film that we made for them, we did this kind of ping pong back and forth where we did outdoor experience and showing those rain moments and showing the hike and the pinnacle moments where people get to going back and forth between the maker story. And that was that compromise that I was able to make with them, but still got to that place to where it's like it's still satisfied showing that they put a lot of detail and technique and all those things into the packs that they make. But then for my end, on the emotional side, it showed why they were motivated to do that.
1: Right. So when you came to REI, did you bring the archetype idea with you? Were they already implementing that? Uh, What what did that look like as you entered into REI?
0: So I definitely brought it with me. It was something that, that I'm sure that I don't know if they would have gotten there eventually or found another way to frame it or looked at it but for me it's like i've always worked with that over the last you know 10 11 years since i learned it at Ziva, and it was one of those things to where the first campaign that i got to work on there was trails and um we just called it trails 2.0 because it was our second iteration of trails and and i convinced them i was like okay let's do let's do short films like let's do three short films and Let's not sell the product, but let's sell the experience. Let's sell the brand. Let's really sell the life outdoors, the life I lived, but let's put it through these different lenses. And so, so for me, like understanding that hero's journey story, understanding those archetypal stories really made it to where we could curate down to some really powerful stories. And we had a lot of stories thrown at us and we partnered with some great folks over at outside media I worked with Tal Weg, who was our video production crew, and James Q. Martin, who did one of the films for us. And the thing that was really great about it is these guys kind of fed me some stories. We looked at some other stories, but putting it through that archetypal lens, putting it through this lens of can I find, you know, a paradise bound story? And like for me, that was that was Trail Angel. Trail Angel had the strongest plot line of all three of the short films. And we stumbled on it. Like when we first heard about it, we're just like it was kind of a weird move for us in terms of the other two stories were both about elite athletes. Like one was an ultra runner who was in his 60s who had like a ton of hundred milers under his belt. And the other one was this woman, Leal, who is like an amazing mountain biker. Like, she is like crushing it. Like, she just won the Trans Am this last year, which is a cross-country, west coast to east coast race. Yeah. And she, she beat all the dudes. <laughs> like, she's just, she's, she's an ass. crazy. She, she is. She is so good. And so these two guys represented like human awesomeness. So it's like you sit there and you watch it and you're just like, oh, that's amazing. But then we got Ponytail Paul with Trail Angel. And this guy's just like a normal dude. Like he hasn't even done the AT as a through hike. And so for me, I'm just like, oh, man, I'm struggling with this because this doesn't fit like the mold of like kind of what we're what we've been doing. But there was something really, really intriguing about his story in the sense and something that I personally connected with, too, was that he had this intense like PTSD from just you know, have an abusive father and just like getting into this place to where he just his identity was just torn. And so he just he had a breakdown. He like retreated from his family. He retreated from people. He just he couldn't handle like being around people because he was just in fear all the time. And and he gets to this point in the in the film where he's like, I just started going out to the woods just as like a form of peace and therapy. And and to me, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm like, I do the same thing. I'm like, when I've had a crazy day or when, you know, stuff at home is nuts or whatever. I'm like, when I go on a hike or when I just get outside, it just kind of like melts it all off. And to see this guy and to see his story, it just like one, it just, it resonated with me a little bit personally. But to hear that he was able to find like, like full healing and get back to a place of peace through going outdoors and through helping through hikers by hanging food buckets and just like randomly hiking out with like a stove and making food for people. He was like through that experience and through people trusting him, like he was able to find healing. He was able to find trust for other people too. And to me, I'm like, it was so rad that that story came from just a normal guy. And because of that, that's that story had the, the, best response it had the highest level of social engagement and it was just it was one of those things where for me it helped me prove to some of the folks at REI that hey we don't always have to showcase these elite athletes who are amazing at their sport right we can we can take people who are normal everyday folks and show that the outdoors still has amazing power with
1: them well because that's most of us most of us look at the the crazy athletes who are at the peak of what they do and we go oh that's really cool i want to i want to watch them and i want to see what they do but that's not me that that's not gonna that doesn't relate to me as just a normal dude who still likes the outdoors but i'm not gonna go run 100 miles because i'm not crazy
0: Totally. Like one of the campaigns or just a moment in a campaign that I referenced for them was when Nike did that spot for Find Your Greatness for when the Olympics was going on. Mm -hmm. And they they showed the fat kid just running down the dirt road. And I'm like, as much as he is not a representation of athletics at its prime, he's a representation of the spirit of sport, of overcoming something through sport, of here we're seeing a hero's journey, but we're seeing somebody at the beginning of it. Versus an athlete who's amazing and you see them at the end of it. And, you know, just like any athlete goes through a victory moment or a failure moment. Another thing that I like pushed really hard about bringing to REI was just this whole idea around like, we got to show the struggle too. Like, we can't just show the awesome good things. Like, because the hero's journey, like, you have to show those. Hard moments. You have to show the climb. You have to show the sweat on their brow and all of these things as they get to that moment of victory. And to me, I'm like, people are hungry for transparency. I think we're so overfed from social media, from just regular media, curated awesomeness. It's like I don't deal with anything bad. Everything is awesome. You know, (laughs) Lego song, Lego movie song. Yeah, and it's. It's kind of like that it's like even with my friends group like people who I intimately know like who are having hard times like you'd never know on social media like on social media like things are great like awesome but I think there's part of us that understands like a part of the human story is like going through hardships sometimes and overcoming those hardships or getting help from people to overcome those hardships right and so when I like kind of sought out to do these stories I was like, I'm like, they have, like, they have to have a struggle. Like we have to show someone's struggle in these stories. Like, and we have to show how the outdoors was a catalyst in taking them from a negative point to a positive point or from a positive point to a negative point. Like we just have to show some sort of value shift as a company. I mean, they're always really striving from going from negative to positive. I mean, it just makes sense. It's like, If you're selling a product, you don't want to show somebody using that product and having a harder time. Right. You don't want to just make everything glossy because then it doesn't become believable. Like if everything's just glossy and happy and cheesy, smiley, which is kind of what in the catalog world, REI had been for years and years and years. It's like we'd always joke, me me and my buddy Andy, who's a senior art director there. We'd walk around the office and there's these like late 90s, early 2000s photos that are huge and they're plastered on the wall. But everybody's just got these like cheesy grins and like it's HDR and everything is just like hyper stylized. And we're just like, (laughs) it just, it feels so plastic, You know, it's like we, both of us being outdoors guys, we're like, that's not real. Like. What's real is your knees hurting, your ankles hurting, your socks getting soaked. Like we did this multi-day backpacking trip in Alaska and him and I, like I got heat exhaustion one day and his buddy Ken like found this glacial stream and like he was like, Mike, go dunk your head in that thing. But it's like I hiked that entire like four day, three to four day trip with wet socks because the snow was melting off and the ground was just like soaked everywhere
1: which probably which probably meant blisters and and all kinds of just yeah disgusting feet that hurt and smell
0: <laughs> but it's one of those trips I'll never forget right. and I'll always look at and like I mean another example was like I always love like outdoor photography so I go and like shoot Rainier or Mount Hood up here And I convinced my brother to go up to Mirror Lake, which is close to Mount Hood, Mm -hmm. and camp overnight in March because we didn't get any snow that year. We both like, and I had like a bad rated sleeping bag and he had one too. And we just like froze our butts off that night. (laughs) I don't know how, like if you have siblings, but I'm like, we were getting like real close to one another. (laughs) So cold. Uncomfortably close. And so the next morning, I got up at like 4.30 a.m. to like take a photo of the sunrise coming up over the lake and on the mountain. And it was like the most beautiful thing. And I gave him a giant print of that photo and put it, you know, put it in a frame and everything for him. But the thing is, is every time I look at that, that photo, I remember that stupid night where we were both like, freaking <laughs> up and then got up the next morning and like went and had breakfast with one another.
1: Yeah, everybody else that sees that photo thinks it was probably
0: a perfect trip and it was just amazing, but you guys know that you guys know the truth. It's like you look at it and you're like, Oh, the lake is so serene and peaceful, but no, we froze our butts off and like <laughs> no bleeding. one else no one else was there and we're just like we're the dummies who like came in and camped out in March on Mount Hood.
1: Oh man, that's so true about, about being in the outdoors. It's, there's, there's that contrast, you know, the contrast between this is so amazing, but also there is that struggle a lot of times that um, I think if you can tell that story it can relate to a, an audience so much better than just telling the everything's awesome piece of the yeah. story.
0: And I would say that story spans across everything. I mean, it's life, right? It's one of those things to where I don't, You know, it it plays really well and natural in outdoor, in sport, in lifestyle, because those of us who have done those things have experienced those peaks and valleys. But just, I mean, in life and all of these things, it's like when we tell the human story, like, and we show things that the hardships that they've gone through, all of us have gone through hard things. All of us have had ups and downs. And so to me, it makes it so much more resonant and relatable when it's, it's a normal person. And when it's somebody who is, who has been put either in an extraordinary situation and done something rad, or through some sort of system of events or whatever, has found something really amazing, or does something amazing. And so it's, it's kind of one of those things. It's just like seeing that struggle, seeing that buildup, seeing, you know, going back to that hero's journey of like, I'm I'm in this place, I get this weird, extraordinary call, I go into this moment, I fail, I have this really hardship. And then I have people come aside me to like help me. And then finally, I overcome and then I come back, but I'm changed. I'm a different person. And mm-hmm. so it's like, I've always kind of like looked for those things, because I feel like that path is something that all of us as human beings fundamentally understand.
1: Right. So as as you brought that archetype model into rei is that something that they um they received well or quickly or was that a long process for them to to say okay let's try this uh we'll let you run with this
0: idea i i would say it matters who you talk to it, you know so for our there's there's multiple groups who all have very different goals there so like So for the merchants, like they want to sell their priority product because as buyers, they go out and they're like, we bought a ton of Patagonia Houdini jackets this year. So we need to plaster Patagonia Houdini jackets on every square inch of the catalog in all the emails and all these things. And like when I'm telling these stories, like I'm not outfitting people with, you know, the priority product, because to me, I'm like, as as a viewer, you're going to be able to see through that. And, uh, but we would follow up with it. Like we'd always use kind of what I would consider this one, two punch approach where it's like seed somebody's mind, you know, really, really like put them in this story, get them emotionally invested and then follow up with a product that will help unlock that story and experience for you. So it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to tell you this story about this awesome trail runner. Let that kind of marinate and seed with you for a week. And then I'm going to start sending social posts and emails and other things about other people who are doing this. But maybe they're wearing the priority product in the gear. And so for those folks, it was it was a little harder of a sell because it's a long tail buy in. Like you're not going to be able to look at the sales numbers right after posting a rad story and see a huge sales spike. Right. And, and that was kind of a, a tough thing at REI because they're so, being a retailer, and I'm sure any retailer deals with this, they're incredibly married to their sales numbers. And so it's like if sales dip at all, then, you know, people are like, well, we need to put like an off-price promotion out there. We need to go do this and that. And so what I would always say as an analogy was by looking at the sales number during the campaign and judging a creative campaign based on the numbers. It's like planting a seed, watering it, and expecting it to just pop up and grow all at the same time. Right. And so, a lot of these things, it was like, you know, we would get sales later from it. It was because, again, it was like we were really trying to sell the experience. We were trying to get people's minds in that space. And as a result, like we had category lifts in all three of those areas no we didn't like specifically sell one product and like have it fly off the shelves but all of the mountain biking stuff sold a little bit more and all of the backpacking stuff sold a little bit more and all of the trail running stuff sold a little bit more and to me it's you know it wasn't nearly as targeted as hoped but it accomplished that goal And I think while while they like we invested a ton of money into doing three films and they were sold on doing storytelling, they definitely pumped the brakes a little bit because they didn't get that huge flying off the shelf sales. And so it's kind of one of those things to where from from after Trails 2.0, it was definitely where's the balance of like how many stories can we tell to still be effective? But then how can we do promotions to still handle all the sales stuff?
1: Gotcha. And Aria's archetype is, you would say the traveler adventure, right?
0: I would say it's yeah, it's the explorer. it's It's definitely somebody who is they're they're out there to because they seek freedom because they want to, you know find new places. it's It's not the guy who goes back to the same campsite year after year after year. It's like we're constantly trying to find new locations, and we're constantly trying to promote new ways of camping. I mean, it's it'd be like as I, being a creative person as you are, like I am. It's it's somebody who's just naturally curious, and so it's like I'm curious, but I'm curious in this outdoor space.
1: Interesting. And then, so after that Trails 2.0 project, did did you have your hand in any of like the opt outside stuff?
0: Yep. So I led opt outside this last, this last iteration of the, will you go out with me?
1: Okay. So, so opt outside 2.0, essentially.
0: Yeah, exactly. Opt outside 2.0. So 1.0 was done by Venable Bell and partners. And the idea was actually generated internally at REI. And, and it was one of those ideas that, so there's this team called DLT, which is direct leadership team. It's all the CEO and the CEO and the, VPs of everything and so kind of in that room that group of people they kind of were just like Hey, you know somebody had thrown around this idea called Green Friday And it was just like, you know, what what is up with Black Friday? Everybody's kind of like Black Friday sucks It's like it's a crazy work holiday, you know It's like more people are going to Walmart than coming to REI. So it's like let's let's make a stand against it Let's say hey all of our people, let's go outside instead of shopping and fighting with people and doing all this stuff to try to save a buck. And so it kind of, it stuck. It was one of those things where I think everybody saw the potential of the idea or really felt like it, it went back to a a brand tenant in the sense of we're a retailer. So as a retailer, we can say Black Friday sucks. I mean, it's just, it's something that it's, it's the opposite of what people would expect us to say. And so because of that, it's a contrasting message out in the world because everybody else is saying, bye, 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 come into our stores. And then so we stand out that much more by saying, don't don't do this. And I think they were kind of inspired by the whole Patagonia, like, don't buy this jacket. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like there's been campaigns like that where it's just like, we're going to tell you to do the opposite of what we would normally tell you in a sense that it's going to get more attention. It's going to get more more views and clicks and likes and all that stuff. And and it kind of puts out a belief. And, you know, for us, the belief was just like, it's better to go outside than it is to spend money. And, right. and so for us, it, it just kind of, it became this catalyst. It had way more success than we ever thought it would in terms of awards and earned media and all that stuff. So, man, being the guy who was running year two, whoa, like, talk about pressure. <laughs> and, like, and because it was just, like, you're walking into this thing and you're just, like, dude, this thing just won a Cannes Grand Prix and, like, a kajillion gold lines and all of this stuff. And it's, like, okay, what am I going to do for year two that it's going to be boring to everybody because, you know, the, <laughs> the surprise is out there. And so... I, I brought in this awesome writer, like creative director guy, this guy, Matt, Matt McCain. And so him and I, and this, this guy, this art director, Quinn and Torrin. So we kind of, there was four of us who were all like, we worked on this thing six months out. And we we're all just like kind of just toiling through ideas and just like going through all this stuff. And I swear, like, we were all just exhausted because we were just like cranking out ideas and like scrapping them and like nobody could make a decision. And then we were like reiterating more ideas. And finally, like they they kind of came up with this idea for holiday of like all I need, and like really kind of getting people to focus back in on experiences instead of just having tons of stuff. Like, we got this piece of insight that it's like, oh, you know, like, millennials and younger generations are seeking more insights and experiences and all these things than buying hordes of things. Mm -hmm. And so we're just like, well, how can we do that? And I was like, well, we're a company that's all about experiences. Like, that's all we would sell. And as much as we sell the gear, it's like the gear is all to help you have that experience. And so we kind of had this thing of, like, Torin wrote this great line of like the stuff that we remember isn't stuff and It kind of like it became this catalyst of like, okay Let's use that for holiday. So for holiday. Let's be the opposite instead of like towering presents in front of your tree like let's just make it the focus of like Give one good gift like have one thing that you give somebody that's gonna help them unlock an experience and then when we started talking more and more, you know, so we had that idea And we're like, well, that's not right for opt outside. So let's use that for holiday. And then as we get back into the opt outside thing, we just had this simple thought of, you know, it's, I think Matt even like kind of brought it up in this workshop that we had. It's like, what if we just like tell the world we can't do it alone? What if we just say we need help? And it was kind of this, we're like, okay, there's a seed there. There's something really interesting about that. And so, We started getting public affairs involved and trying to get them to, like, reach out to the Nikes and the Googles and all these big major companies and just being like, we need help getting the word out there to get people outside. And, you know, it's like most companies, (laughs) you know, especially outside in the outdoor arena, like our vendor partners and all those folks, like those people were happy to jump in and help because it's like they had that same mission but man talk about a huge lift trying to get a company that has nothing to do with the outdoors to like join with you and and so and honestly nobody did except for Subaru. Subaru jumped in and they joined us and they put the word out there and they got all of these Subarus in New York City so people could take their dogs out to the to the woods for free and because they had the whole share the love campaign with the dogs and all this stuff And so, like, they were an awesome partner to have, and they were so excited to join up with us on it. But the really great other partnerships that we got were state and national parks. Like, they were like, okay, we're going to do this fee-free that day. So, it's like if you went to a national or a state park that on Black Friday, no fees, no nothing. So, we wanted to, like, partner with people to remove barriers. Like, I, you know, I was starting to, like, talk to talk to my boss, Ben, and I was like, how can we use this as an experience to start thinking about us as a helper brand? Like, how do we help you get outdoors? Like, how do we remove barriers for you? Like, if I think of like our goal and the reason why we exist, like, yes, the life outdoors is life well lived. Like, that's an amazing belief. But like us operationally, like, how can we be somebody who gets out of the way? Like and who removes those barriers for you, either through like our classes where we teach you something. So you're not so freaked out about trying something new or it's something where, you know, we work with partners to get you, you know, a fee that's removed or all of these things. Or, you know, like we really were trying to convince like Uber or Lyft. They're like, hey, can you like donate rides that day to Trailhead's? just really trying to find all these ways and partner with all these different companies to remove barriers to people to getting outside. And so again, it just went back to that. And then so for for the social movement, it really kind of like Quinn, he like just wrote this thing. He's like, I know it's cheesy and it sounds like dating, but he's like, what if we just do this? Will you go out with me? And I was like, that's perfect because then that's giving our audience an ability to say, Hey, like and for us to be like, we can't do it alone. So you should go tell your peeps like you can't do it alone and use this as a catalyst to share your outdoor experience with other people to like get your brother out there to get your closest friend out there or somebody who doesn't normally go outside to get him outside to like really experience that and to share that. Because I don't know about you, like some of the best hikes that I've gone on and the best outdoor experiences I've gone on. Or with other people rarely, you know, it's like, I'll go fly fishing by myself just to have that meditative peace and just be in nature. But then like, when I, like, again, it's like all the stories I remember are like stories with my brother and stories with Andy. And it's, it's kind of one of those things that we just, we wanted people to experience that, but we also wanted to, to have our audience help get other people outside too.
1: I didn't, I wasn't aware that the Subaru partnership existed with that with that because
0: because it was only in new york and so gotcha they didn't they they they
1: have that that makes sense because they have a an audience that kind of i mean they're not you're not the exact same audience but it's there's a lot of overlap with the subaru audience versus the rei audience
0: oh big time so i mean a lot of sense for them all you had to do was gaze around the parking lot at rei (laughs) (laughs) subarus everywhere
1: yeah so th- then, how did you guys take that REI archetype of explore the explorer, and it, and and infuse that into that opt outside campaign?
0: Because, because all of the stories, basically, what we did was hand our hand the mic to our audience. Gotcha. Like, like you show us your exploration moments. Tell us what you're doing on Black Friday. Like we put the micro site together of like this. Feed of all the Instagram things and the hashtag of opt outside and like Really instead of us putting out one message to everybody We took everybody else's message and just regurgitated it and and so our audience became our best content producer and Ultimately, we just gave them the charge to go explore but in return we just asked them to tell us what they were doing and because we just asked a simple question of like, hey, what are you going to like? Who are you going to take and what are you going to do on Black Friday? Having those two things like and we of course we seeded it. So they they always say this thing where they call it the flywheel effect in terms of marketing and all this stuff at REI where it's just like a push and a pull method. So it's like you push out inspirational content. You push out really provocative questions. You push out. Things for people to respond to, and all this stuff. And in return, the pull is you get your community to like start making content for you. They start, you kind of seed them with some key influencers and all of this stuff to start the conversation going. But then in turn, it's like we all want to feel like we're a part of something bigger. We all want to feel like we're a part of this community. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, heck yeah, I'm going to go hiking with my brother on Black Friday, and this is where I'm going. And other people are like, I went snowshoeing and all of this stuff. And so it kind of like creates a little bit of this snowball effect to where it it just generates that buzz and excitement for it going on because no longer is it a risk for you to participate because you see all these other people doing it. Yeah. And, and you know, it's like the first couple of people, it's like, oh man, am I gonna be the the poser loser because I'm like the only, <laughs> the only doing, guy. <laughs> the only guy doing it year two. But It's like once like and that's why it's really important to see social movements why it's really important to have Influencers, especially as a business like really getting these folks in the mix to like take that fear away from Participating that it's like there's already people out there doing it It's and like I remember watching this TED talk about it where they showed this video of a guy at like Coachella or some music festival like just being all crazy dancing Uh but like as soon as the second guy Went over and started going crazy and dancing with him. A ton of other people just started showing up. So it was like the first guy is just a nutto who's just like going crazy. But it's the second guy who really like the second and the third are the most important to like take that fear away from people of of being like, oh, I'm going to make a fool out of myself.
1: Uh Oh, it's okay to go do that.
0: Yeah, it's okay to go do that because three people are doing it. So it must be cool for us. But the great thing from like this social campaign and giving the audience the mic and really like we put all of our dollars kind of heavy into this social space is we we had this goal that like freaked me out where it's just like, well, if we're just asking people to invite one friend, let's like double our social engagement number from last year. And I'm like, I don't know if it works that way, because then I'm like <laughs> I'm like, then the person inviting them has to hashtag, and the person who got invited has to hashtag. So I'm like, that kind of freaks me out to go from 1.4 to 2.8 million. And I'm like, how are we counting this? Like, are we counting clicks? Are we counting hashtags? Are we counting, like, views? Like, how are we getting to this number? And so it was just like, okay, we're going to count hashtags and we did a Snapchat lens. And so with the Snapchat lens, we got numbers back from Snapchat in terms of engagement and shares from that. So we started counting those numbers too. And, you know, by the end of the campaign, we went from 1.4 million the first year to over 6 million this last year. And I, I mean, I was shocked. I had no idea we'd get anywhere close to that number. And, but I mean, we had a lot of people working their butts off, the social team worked their butts off, the creative team worked their butts off. And, you know, and my integrator, Sam, he worked his butt off to get all these things kind of paired up and put together. And all those guys in concert made for a hugely successful campaign.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a hugely successful campaign that, that now seems to have become like a Almost a sub-identity of REI.
0: So for me, the idea of doing it year three was just too much. So I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do a third year. <laughs> it was too much pressure. Yeah, there's too much pressure. It was enough pressure doing the second year. Way too much pressure trying to do it a third year.
1: Oh gosh, I can't imagine. Well, do you think it'll become something that just is, I mean, hashtag opt outside is just a part of REI's story from here on out?
0: Hi I I know for a fact it is. It's it's one of those things to where it's they're they're looking at it as being as ubiquitous as Nike is would just do it. it yeah. You know, they're really trying to make it the rally cry for the REI consumer, for all outdoor people. I mean, I think that was the original intent of it was to just be like, okay, let's let's just do something good. Let's do something good for the community. And then we found out like, hey, this is a really Effective and good rally cry for us as a company. Yeah, it's like people love it They want to get engaged with it. Like they're using the hashtag year-round and so for spring this year Our spring season is what comes out the campaign that comes out in January through March Really came this mentality of like opting outside every day. We're like, let's take it a, a step further like instead of just coming with us black Friday like what if you like what would your life look like if You went outside every day. Like if you just even just going for a walk, like we were trying to be like, how do we figure out the on ramps for people to get outside? So we started talking about the strategy of like inside, outside, outdoors. So we're just like, how do we just get people outside and make that less intimidating and really like find this place to where we can dive into, you know, hey, just go for a walk to the park. Like, do that today. It doesn't always have to be the epic mountain climb or the crazy mountain biking trip or X, Y, and Z. It's like, yes, put those in there. But as a mantra, like, just see health-wise and, you know, mental state-wise what it's like to just get outside every day.
1: Yeah. Okay, so then bringing that back to archetype and, and now with you spending more time with Hendo Design and, and yeah, putting a little bit more focus on that, how... What is that for a new client? If you're going to, if Hendo Design is going to get hired by a new client, what does that process look like uh, coming into a company who maybe doesn't have, have, have ever, maybe has never played with the idea of archetype model and in, in how they voice and message and communicate to their audience? What does that process look like for taking them on that journey? Or if they've maybe played with it and they and they just aren't doing it well? What is just what does that kind of look like
0: for a new client for you? Well, you know, I definitely go through some workshops with folks. And I, you know, for me, it's a lot of asking questions. And it's a lot of listening. And it's really trying to help people understand, you know, one belief based marketing, number one, you know, it's like, and I think there's some really great examples out there. It's like you look at a Patagonia, you look at a Nike, both of those are really heavily belief based marketing. It's like, I always tell people, it's like the reason I wear a Patagonia hat is not because I'm a rock climber. The reason I wear a Patagonia hat is because I want other people to know that I care about the outdoors, that I care about protecting wild places, that I care about sustainable building practices for product design, that I care about taking dams out and all of these things. And so when they put out all this content, it's like generating that belief. But you have to get to this foundational place first. To figure out what that belief is and so if it's a new brand that needs to figure out kind of what their archetype is I go through you know Like an on-site exercise with them where we kind of have all these cards that have words on them And this was a process that we used at Zeba, Where it's like, okay put all of these character attributes on the card But don't tell people what the character is and then you kind of start generating a heat map that you know, you go from belonging to, you know, independence or, you know, mastery and all our creativity and all of these things. And so you start kind of like heat mapping them to really like figure out what that archetypal character is. But if they already have an archetypal character, it's more about like, okay, so how can I like, help you define like what that character story is? Or how can I help you define like, say if you've got this product that you want to sell and it's and it's lightweight and it's awesome I'm like i'll come in and i'll be like great i'm glad that it's lightweight and awesome what does it allow me to do what does it help me do who are the kind of people that are using it how can we showcase those people how can we provide a clear window into somebody's experience or how can we write a story to like showcase that experience or just get somebody more emotionally involved and like dedicated to it so it's Again, it's, it's one, it's very much a relationship. It's very much a back and forth. It's very much something where I'm not going to go into a black box and just like, here's this perfect thing for you. It's, (laughs) no, it's, it's really a lot. It's a lot of questions. It's a lot of listening. It's a lot of patience. And it's, and it's getting to that place to where People understand, too. I mean, it's an investment, just like any anything that we do as creatives, just as anything that a business wants to do in terms of repositioning themselves. And so it's like for me, it's like I want to find those clients that like are willing to invest that time into it, that are willing to like have those conversations, that are excited about those conversations because if it becomes one of those things where it isn't in that place, then I don't feel like I don't feel like the work is as strong as if I'm just trying to invent it from a vacuum.
1: Right. Well yeah, just just do this because we know we're supposed to do this and this is this is the best way to do things as a business rather than we actually have beliefs behind what we do as a business. So is there when you go into a potential client meeting, do you do you ask a lot of those questions to determine if it's even a good fit for you
0: to yeah, work exactly. with a company? Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, if it's an existing company, like, you know, working with REI was kind of a no brainer for me. Cause I'm like, Oh, there's a ton of potential here to like tell some of these really rad stories. Yeah. And here's all, here's all these skills and strategies and things that I can bring to the table to help them get there. And then like, But working with new clients, it's like, especially ones that haven't been making stuff or you don't have a clear idea. It really is. It's like really invest, you know, it's like there's a lot of times for uh, those initial conversations. It's like that's an investment from me as a creative where it's like, okay, I'm not going to charge you for this initial phone call, but it helps me determine if this is going to be a good fit for you, if it's going to be a good fit for me, because I think, again, going back to that relationship piece you have to build that like that trust that candor with one another to be able to make good and successful work and it's like if if you're going in and that trust isn't established and you're not being honest with them and they're not being honest with you then the work's going to suffer as a result
1: mhm yeah that's that's really cool well mike uh this about all the time that we have, I I, I want to make sure I'm respectful of your time. But thank you so much for being on the show. This has been really, really insightful and, and just some incredible content. So I appreciate your time and, and your just sharing your experience. If people want to get a hold of you or learn more about Hendo Design, how can they get a hold of you?
0: They can just go to www.hendo.design.com or they can email me directly at mike at hendo.design.com.
1: H e n d o design.com.
0: Yep, that's right.
1: Perfect. Well, Mike, thank you so much again. And uh, we wish you the best as you uh, go go about building this this handout uh, Design entrepreneurial
0: thing for you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Active Lifestyle Marketer. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other active lifestyle brand leaders or know someone who would be a great guest on the Active Lifestyle Marketer, let us know. We love connecting with active lifestyle brand executives and sharing their insights and knowledge with our audience. Just send us an email at info at tigercreative.com. And lastly, if you need help telling your brand story, we would love to share how we could help in that process. Check us out at tigercreative.com. See you next time.